Our Bible reading passage this morning is out of Genesis 34. Uh, So if you'd like to turn there, or you can cast your eyes to the screen. Now Dinah, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hevite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamor, get, her, uh, get me this girl as my wife. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the field with his livestock. So he did nothing about it until they came home. When Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob, Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife and to marry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I will pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman, as my wife. Because their sister, Dinah, had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father, Hamor. They said to them, We can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is uncircumcised. What That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man, who was the most honored of all his father's family, lost no time in doing what they said, because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of the city to speak to the men of their city. These men are friendly towards us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will agree with, uh, to agree to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males are circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? So let us agree to their terms, and they will settle among us. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in their city was circumcised. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, the Nye's brothers, took their swords and attacked 
the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and her son Shechem to the sword and took the Nah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? So far the reading today. Well, uh, friends, human beings are capable of doing terrible, terrible things. Uh, Many in our culture would like to believe that human beings are basically evil, uh, so basically good, not evil, sorry. Uh, They're just, people are just corrupted by their circumstances and by the people around them. Now, certainly we can be corrupted by the people around them and our circumstances, but the, the testimony of the Bible is that evil comes from within, out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks, and evil comes from out of us. And the Bible is very candid about this. It doesn't try and hide this. It doesn't try and sugarcoat this. It is very honest about the human condition, and that is what we have in front of us today. We have a horrible, a terrible incident. There are no good guys in this passage, not one. Uh, perhaps the exception is poor Dina. We don't, he- we don't hear from her. Uh, not because she's not worth hearing from, but because the focus is on the failure of the people around her. Let's be frank, the men around her who fail her completely. And so as we look at these men, at the way they fail, we learn, in a way, our failures in dealing with sin. But it's not as though that's all that's here. There is actually hope here. Uh, Well, I should say there's implied hope here because if you noticed when we were reading through, there was no mention of God. It's It's not just that God doesn't do anything. It's that God's not even mentioned in the passage. But thankfully, this is not the last chapter in the book of Genesis. This is not the last chapter in the Bible. And so the hope comes as we see what God does about this kind of situation as we read on. And so today is a very difficult passage, and yet I think it's a worthwhile passage for us to, to wrestle with. Now, I do want to say, however, right up, right up front, that uh, it may be that for you this is a very uncomfortable passage. That is, this might cut very close to the bone. This, this reminds you of things that have happened to you. And I want to say to you this morning that if that is you, then there are people who are here who are happy to talk and, and, and try and help you. Myself uh, or Lisa uh, is more than happy to catch up with you. If it's not today, then this week or the week after or whenever. Whenever you want to come and speak with us, we're here 
to, to help you. And, and I hope that as we hear the, the gospel hope that's in this passage, well, that comes through the Bible, that there'll also be uh, some comfort for you in God's justice and his mercy. Well, the event that precipitates all of this is easy to understand, it's easy to believe because it's something that happens in our world. We know it is. Shechem, son of Hamor, he sees Dinah, he takes her and he rapes her. What might not be immediately obvious to us is that the verbs that are used there, he sees her, he takes her, are the same verbs that are used all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, where Eve, we are told, sees the fruit, takes the fruit, and then eats the fruit. Notice, by the way, that there is no implied guilt for Dina. Yes, she was in the city, but she wasn't doing anything wrong. It's all on Shechem. He saw... He took and he raped. And it is a crime, a terrible crime, that demands justice. Or is it, one might wonder, when you start to see the way some of the other characters in this account react? Now, obviously, it is something that demands justice. But it's not immediately obvious that that's how everyone thinks. And what I want to do is just go through the reactions of three people or three groups, people or groups of people in this passage, the men around her. And the first one I want to look at is Hamor, Shechem's father. Now, what does he do? Well, he's basically passive. He does what he approves. Actually, he's not entirely passive. He's actually active, it seems, in his approval, or at least he's happy to go along with it, even if he's not quite sure. Now, the same actually can be said of the men of the town. One of the things you've got to, as you read a passage like this in, in Genesis and, and beyond, is when we read the word city, the city of Shechem, uh, we tend to think of a metropolis, don't we? <laughs> or a really big place, like maybe like Nineveh, who we're to, which we're told about later, which is a really big city. But this is probably not. I couldn't find details on how big this city is, but just judging from the circumstances and from what I know of the time, it's probably more what we would call a village. We're not talking about thousands of people. We'd be lucky to be a thousand people in this village, men, women and children. It's a small place. Now, what, why is that important? Because when, when Shechem sees and takes Dinah, it's not like it happens in a back alley where no one can see. It's not as though nobody knows that this is going on. It's obvious. Anyone around would have seen what was... I mean, she was with the women. And so when the men later on come to the gate and have this offer of, well, if you get circumcised, you'll get to marry their, their daughters and you'll get to eventually... Uh, their hope is that they'll get all the flocks and the herds... They know what precipitated this. They know what led up to this. They know what's going on. And they too are complicit. Well, after all, uh, they, they, they like Shechem, the, the, the son. It's very confusing, isn't it, that it's the, the, the town and the son are the same name, but it, we'll, we'll deal with that. And so, Hamor is happy to go to Jacob and to seek Dinah as a wife for his son. 
Notice that she's kept at the house during this exchange. The whole thing just stinks. But he sees an opportunity. He sees an opportunity for his family, he sees an opportunity for his town to, to gain from the sin of his son. And so, friends, it's possible, it's possible to overlook sin, to even condone sin, because either it, there's some advantage to us or because the person who did it, uh, we like them. Because that's what's going on here with Hamor. He's a, he sees an advantage to him, so he's willing to overlook it, and he likes his son, so he's willing to overlook it. I, I guess this is probably, a, in, this, in this church, probably a fairly unusual thing, but someone might steal something. They might pirate something, and, and, and they offer it to you, and they say, here, have this. Well, do we really need to seek justice in that case? Well, I mean, it's, it's, I mean come on, it's not that, not that big a deal. You might have a, a friend or a colleague who, who tears shreds off your kind of major competitor at the workplace, the person who's kind of vying for that position that you want. And, and you know it's all slander and you know it's all wrong, but, it, but hey, it, it advantages you. I mean, do you really need to seek justice? Do you really need to kind of step in in that situation? It seems to me that one of the reasons that people in the West are so uh, happy to continue buying cheap food and cheap clothing, even though we kind of know, don't we? We kind of know that, as, as it was in the bulletin this week, that there are factories that are unsafe for workers and thousands of them sometimes die and they're paid a pittance when they, do, when they don't work, die and, and, and they're living subsistence lives. But hey, my clothes are nice and cheap and the food on my table is nice and cheap and so look, I, I'm, I kind of, I'll just pretend it's not happening. Because the injustice advantages me, don't you see? Or, as I say, we sometimes turn a blind eye to sin because the person who did it is someone we like. They're a friend, or as it is in this case, a child of ours. Perhaps Hamor mollified his conscience because we're told that Shechem, in verse 3, loved Dinah and spoke tenderly to her. I, I mean, I don't know about you, I read that and I'm like, what? This is the most pathological behavior I've ever. I, I raped you, but I love you. Oh, my goodness me. No. You know. Oh, it's just a young man with a passion, his passion's out of control. He's, he's sorry now. He really does love her. No, if he loved her, he wouldn't have raped her. Like, that's how it works, friends. I don't know if I need to point that out, but that's not how it works. If you love someone, you don't harm them. Love is self-sacrificial service. That's what Jesus teaches us. Oh, they're having a bad day. Oh, they're a, really, they're a good kid, really. That's not like them. They don't normally do that sort of stuff. Like, we could think of a thousand excuses to let off the people that we like. We don't really need to seek justice because we like that person. Of course, we'd never apply those excuses if the sin was done against us. Well, that's a different matter altogether. But that's not good enough. It wasn't good enough for Hamor or the men of the town to just overlook this. A crime had been committed against Dina. Justice must be done. Evil has consequences. Well, 
hopefully Jacob will step in, right? right? Jacob's going to step in, he's going to get justice for his daughter. No. When Jacob, verse 5, heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the field with his livestock, so he did nothing about it until they came home. Well, you might say, oh, but, but you know, he's going to do something about it um, eventually, right? Uh, when they come in, they'll gather together, they'll go and seek justice for Dinah. Well, no, actually. If you look through again, maybe you noticed on the way through, Jacob is also silent in this chapter. He does nothing until you get to the very end. After the brothers have already slaughtered the townsfolk or the men in the town, he says this, you have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. Well, there's a certain pragmatic sense and logic to what Jacob says here. It's true. This puts them in danger. They are foreigners in a foreign land with no allies. But that's not good enough. Fear and pragmatism are not reasons to overlook justice. Now, we could point out the fact that God has told Jacob that he'd look after him. We've seen this multiple times, haven't we, over the previous weeks. Uh, There's no reason for Jacob to fear, and yet he does fear. We understand the man is growing in his faith. And it's particularly bad, obviously, because Jacob does this to his daughter, he essentially is saying here in verse 30, I would rather have done nothing to save and, and so save my skin uh, and let Dina suffer. It's just blow upon blow for poor Dina. And friends, it is again easy to overlook sin for pragmatic reasons and out of fear. If I rock the boat, uh, it's just going to cause way too much trouble. It's just better if I let this go. Who knows what sort of Pandora's box I'll open if we go down that path, if I speak up. Uh, There are powerful people that I'd be accusing. They might come after me. And yes, they might. We live in a sinful world. They might come after us. It's too hard It might cause trouble. And if we're honest, in the church, and I'm speaking about the wider church here, there have been times in our past when this is exactly what's been said. There's been terrible sins against children and against women, and they have gone uninvestigated, unpursued, because it was all too hard, because there was was just too much trouble to, to think about it. Now, if you're in... If you're here this morning and that's something that's happened to you, we we also have a group of people you can go and talk to about that. Uh, John Van Dyke, uh, Wendy Hammond and Carly Alloway are part of our Safe Church Advisory Committee and they're they're equipped for you to go and talk to them about that kind of thing, particularly if you were abused as a child. It's not good enough though that 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 was let slide. God is a God of justice. In Numbers, we're told the, God, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He does not let sin slide. 
evil must have consequences. And we need to ask ourselves, because I think we're prone to this in, in, in Australia, uh, we, we don't like to cause trouble, we don't like to rock the boat, we don't like to, to discomfort people, whether we've fallen into this trap of letting sin slide. And it doesn't have to be as big as rape, it can be all sorts of stuff. We let sin slide because we just don't, it's too hard. It's just too hard. But of course, it's too hard for us. There's always a victim who's suffering. And what we're really saying is, well, it's too hard for me, but they can suffer, that's fine. Well, those responses of Jacob and the response of Hamor and the townspeople are, are no good. Uh, perhaps the brothers' more active uh, approach to justice will be better. Um, it's certainly different. I'm, I don't know that you could say that it was better. I think it's worth just noting that to some degree, Jacob facilitates, causes, is maybe is too strong, the, the actions of the brothers. That is, they're furious at the way their sister has been treated and Jacob does nothing, which I suspect makes them even more furious and, and, that, and so they take... All, action. You, you can't say that actually he causes them to sin. You can't cause someone to sin. It's always their choice. But you can lead them into sin. You can make it hard for them not to sin, but you can't force them. Now, some of you are, uh, uh, right now, you're, th you're thinking of ridiculous scenarios in which someone might be forced to sin. Stop it. It's just, it's not helpful. That's not what we're talking about. Look at their anger in verse 7. Meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. As soon as they heard what had happened, they were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. Uh, you'll notice it says in Israel. You might think, well, there's only one family. It's not, it's not Israel yet. But uh, that's how they thought of themselves evidently. And of course, this was written to Israel. So uh, this is Israel in, in seed form. And they're shocked and furious. That's the appropriate response. They get, they get this right. They, they're shocked and they're feared. That's how we should feel when we hear of someone being sinned against, a vulnerable person particularly being sinned against, shocked and furious. But after that, they go off the rails. Uh, Hamor comes and he says, uh, I'd like this this young woman for my son. Uh, Shechem himself says, I'll pay you any bride price. And the brothers say, well, uh, no, you can't do that, sorry, unless you get circumcised. Now, there's truth, an element of truth to what they say here. That is, uh, the people of God were supposed to be a community of faith who gathered around, who had believed in this promise of God through Abraham that he was going to bless the world, that he was going to undo the curse. Through you, all nations will be blessed, said God to Abraham. That's the promise. They're looking forward. That's their gospel. They're looking forward to this one who would come and undo the curse. And the community of faith was uh, gathered around that promise, if you like. And circumcision was the sign of that promise. 
And so someone could join the community of faith, believe in the promises of God and be circumcised and then they, you could intermarry with them. So there's truth to what they're saying, but of course that's not what they're doing. Uh, they're taking instead this sign of hope and using it to incapacitate not just Shechem, but the men of the town, who we said, yes, they were complicit in some senses. But that doesn't excuse the massacre that follows. And it is a massacre. I mean, let's not pretend otherwise. I, I said it was a small town, so I don't, I don't know how many men were involved. 50? 60? just slaughtered in an act of vengeance. It's not justice, it's vengeance. And as in all acts of vengeance, the, 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 the repayment way outdoes the, the original crime. The two full brothers of, of Dina, Levi and Simeon, uh, they're her full brothers. There's lots of, as you know, lots of wives and brothers and so on. And th these are the two full brothers. They're the ones who do the killing. But the other brothers take advantage of the situation. They come in, they loot the town, they take away the women and children. We're not told what they do with them. Hopefully, hopefully nothing worse than making them slaves. I mean, that's still terrible, but it could be worse. But this is Vengeance. This is what happens when people take justice, generally speaking, into their own hands. And wars have been fought that escalate from a single grievance and grow out of proportion, magnified every time a new act of vengeance is taken. Because with revenge, it always has to be more, doesn't it? If you, if you hurt me, I have to hurt you more than you hurt me, and then we, uh, you, you have to hurt me back more than I hurt you, and, and so, on, so it goes, it spirals on, down and down into terrible, terrible acts of evil. Now, if we're honest, this kind of vengeance is our favourite form of justice, in inverted commas, when the sin is against us. When the sin is against us, we don't tend to overlook it because we like them. We don't tend to overlook it uh, because we're fearful. We tend to want vengeance. And you can probably remember a time when you have either taken revenge or at least dreamt of the revenge that you would like to take night after night as you went to sleep. Perhaps you still do. You dream of taking revenge on someone who's hurt you. Well, friends, remember that Jesus said that sins of the mind are judged as harshly as actual actions. Be very, very careful. And you've probably seen the way revenge spirals out of control in people around you, maybe in your own life. Families that no longer speak to each other, reputations ruined, businesses lost, marriages over, and so it goes on. Small acts of revenge that grow and grow. And that's not justice either. It just perpetuates and escalates sin. And so, as we come to the end of the chapter, there's, there's no justice. Oh, it's good that Dina is back home. Though the poor woman now has, to, has not only been raped, she's had to witness the slaughter of a whole lot of men. And now she lives surrounded by the women and children who used to be part of the village where she was raped. Not ideal. 
Jacob ends the chapter in fear for his family. The brothers end with this question, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? I think they are viewing the offer of a bride price as basically payment for sex with their sister. And so they're saying, well, that we would have, it would have been to treat her with, like a prostitute. There's, it's, it's, it's an apt understanding in a sense, but it's not a justification for what they did. So where, where that, that's how we end. <laughs> Where's justice? Well, as I say, thankfully, this is not the last chapter in Genesis. And it's certainly not the last chapter in the Bible. And God, we're told, will bring justice for Dina, for the men and women of Shechem, for the terrible things that happen in this world. And he brings justice in two ways. One, he promises to judge the whole world. We are told everyone will face judgment before a perfect and impartial judge before the one who is, sees all and knows all, the one who sees your heart and your thoughts, the things you wish you would do, the things you wish you had not done. He knows it all. And he is going to come and judge the world. He knows exactly what happened in Shechem that day. He knows what happened to you, the terrible evil that has perhaps happened to you. God knows it and he is going to bring justice. And his, lack, his apparent lack of action now is not that he doesn't care. It's not that he's like Jacob or he's like Hamor. He is going to bring justice. And when he comes and when it begins, there is no escape. Each of us will pay for the sins that we have committed. Now that frees us from resorting to our own vigilante justice like the brothers. Verse 12, sorry, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So I can forego revenge, I can forego vengeance, even when our justice system fails. And look, for us, what does it mean to, to seek justice? Often it just means going through the legal process in our country. We have a wonderful justice system in comparison to many parts of the world and comparison, especially in comparison to many times in history. But there will be times when our justice system fails and there will be times when our justice system simply isn't interested in the sin that's been done against us because some of them are very minor. And in those situations, we know that justice will still be done. No one escapes. No one gets away with it. No one. But of course, <laughs> that presents us with a terrible problem, doesn't it? Because we've all sinned. We've all harmed other people. We've all done wrong. Justice is coming. Justice is coming. God has fixed a day when he will judge the world. But as we read earlier from Numbers, God is not only a God who does not leave sin unpunished, 
He is also a God abounding in love who forgives sin and rebellion. Now, of course, the question that must have been asked by the Israelites, and maybe you already know the answer, but the question must have been asked, how do those two things go together? How can you have a God who never leaves a sin unpunished, but who also loves to forgive and show mercy and love? Surely the forgiveness and love and mercy like undoes the justice. But of course, the answer is in the cross where justice and love and mercy meet. Where justice is done, where every sin of all of God's people is poured out, is is paid for, the, the wrath of God against those sins is paid for by Jesus Christ. He suffers. He suffers. He takes the penalty. Not my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. You see, that's what happens on the cross. All of our sin is taken on Jesus and he suffers down to the last drop so that we can then be showered with forgiveness. This is God's great and amazing solution. Justice is done. You understand, every sin by every person that has ever been done or ever will be done will be punished. Wrath will go against that sin. Everyone of every person from all ages, it will be punished. Justice will be done. And it will either be paid by the person themselves or it will be paid by Jesus on the cross. And if we have put our faith in Christ Jesus, if we have called out to him for forgiveness, then our sin is paid for. Justice is done. We are declared not guilty, free. And so friends, Genesis 34 is is an awful chapter. It's a very real chapter. It's an account of human sin and it leaves us longing for something far, far better for restoration, for justice. And that comes in the person of Jesus Christ. He suffered and died so that he could forgive our sins and bring us into a new world where Genesis 34 isn't even thought of anymore. Never happens. A world without sin and so a world where there's no need for acts of justice that's our hope our hope in Jesus Christ let's let's pray our father in heaven we thank you that you have recorded this for us though it is awful Uh, we know that there are people who suffer these sorts of crimes every day around the world we know that human beings we are capable of great evil and doing great harm And we thank you for the assurance that you will bring justice. You will not leave the guilty unpunished. And yet we also want to thank you, Father, that you have made a way for us to be forgiven and restored. That though we are guilty ourselves, our Saviour Jesus took 
the punishment we deserved, the wrath that we deserved so that we might be forgiven and restored to you. Lord, if there's any here this morning who are suffering from great trauma and anguish because of sin that has been done against them, we ask that they would find comfort in your justice and in your love. And Lord, if there's any here who are living under the condemnation of their own sin because they have not come to Christ, we ask that they would flee to him and escape the coming wrath. And Father, we want to thank you again that as we look forward, we don't see condemnation, but we see our Saviour Jesus Christ who loved us and died in our place to open the way through judgment and into paradise. Father, thank you for our Saviour. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.